Back in 1959, we were whirring through the nighttime sky over the Russian tundra when we got a reading on our heat signature radar. Nine hikers camping out on the mountainside near a forest edge. But then, another signature appeared on the screen. It was racing out of the forest toward the group. We zoomed in on the night vision camera and saw that the rushing figure was none other than the Yeti. We swooped down in our flying saucer and fired our blasters, hollered over the intercom, and tried to get the attention of the Nine. However, the hikers broke into a frenzy, and then a Soviet military fired missiles that were whizzing past the hull of our ship. And then another one came. And another one. And then we looked out, and there it was. The KGB just firing away. And then the nuclear explosions were making okay, avalanche. Okay, okay. Chill out. Tell them what happened, though. Oh, okay, so... TLDR. Yeah, well, all that to say, we abducted the hikers of the Dyatlov Pass. Greetings and salutations, people of Earth and beyond. Welcome to Crop Circles, where every week we cover a myth, mystery, or paranormal subject. And my name is Ash. I forgot my name for a second. And I'm here with my... I feel like I should forget my name. Friend... <laughs> my friend, I had to like. I didn't know friend was the right word. I am Corey, the you're, great Cornholio. The Cornholio. Yeah, I thought I was Cornelius. Go the no, coriander. You're not, you're not Cornelius. That's my pillow pet. Cornelius. From the other yes, you're right. You're right. I'm coriander. Yeah. Coriander, and I don't cornholio. Even, cornholio? I, cornholio? Yeah. I mean, I'm from Ohio, so I mean, exactly. we play a lot of corn, cornhole there. The Great Cornholio. You don't know where that's from? The, no. It's from Beavis and Butthead. I never watched oh Beavis and Oh my God, never mind. You know what's funny? It's like my dad wouldn't let me watch certain things as well, mm -hmm. but he grew up on like Run Stimpy, Be yeah. Beavis and Butthead, all that kind of stuff, Be mm -hmm. Angry Beavers. I, don't, I look back at that stuff now and I'm like, are you joking me? You watched that stuff and you wouldn't let me watch the other stuff, like Spongebob? Right. Fairly Odd Parents because it had magic. <laughs> magic is, you know, we got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, yeah, and you know where I drew my line? Where? Straight to space because now I'm an extraterrestrial. I, that's what I identify there as today, exactly. an extraterrestrial. Oh, so you're just an alien today? Um, yeah, you know, I actually, I feel like I'm one of those, like, I'm the rope in a game of tug of war. That's what I identify as today. Mm. Constant stress. Oh, like, like, I feel like I'm doing good. I'm doing really, really good. I'm doing really good. I feel like I'm pulling it more and more and more. But then I feel like there's something on the other end tugging just as hard, just trying to distract me or keep me from being successful and uh, doing the things I want to. So I'm slowly but surely pulling that rope back more toward myself so that like, I'm getting my life in order. I'm getting everything kind of like organized. And I think by the new year, I'll probably be good to go. It's just okay. holiday season stress me out. It is stressful time. It's, yeah. yeah. I feel like the holidays are always such a hot mess. Hot day season. I feel no, like it, wait, wait, it, can't, it can't be a hot mess. It's cold outside. It's cold outside. It's cold outside. Yeah. Also, let's talk about the weather. Not me pulling a Welcome to Night Vale reference, but today, this morning, well, you weren't awake. I was awake because no. it sounded like someone was throwing buckets of water at my window and I decided, no, today's canceled. So I went back to sleep. And when I woke up, I woke up. I guess on the other side of the earth and it was sunny and like warm. Very confusing to wake up to. Did not make any sense. 
Was, so, it like, was it like a metal bucket? They like threw it at your window? It just sounded like very chaotic. Oh, they were like emptying wild. said bucket. Yeah, off. they're emptying oh, like the bucket. I thought the bucket off. smacked the window no, pane. And I was like, what? Buckets of water. Like, I think like the like, orange Home Depot buckets. <laughs> just, just like crashing <laughs> through your window this morning. Be like, mm, that's how today's going <laughs> to start. Like, then, I, I live on the fourth floor. How would that happen? <laughs> hey, you know Japan. That's true. But yeah, so today's been very confusing for me. To say the least. Good morning. But yeah, thank you. Good morning. It's currently 8.30 (laughs) in the night um, and we're just getting started. I'm going to identify as the moment of confusion I had when I woke up this morning. So that's why I gave that backstory. Mm. But I'm just always confused perpetually. Mm. Miley woke up confused the other day. She said that she woke up from a nap and her her clock didn't change because every time she walks out of a room, the power goes off and the clock doesn't fix itself. So it just kind of stays. And so she went to sleep, woke up and she was like, where am I? And looked at the clock and it was like, it's 10 a.m. and it's dark outside. What's going on? And she was just, (laughs) that's what she explained to me at least. And she's just, yeah, she woke up in the end dimension. (laughs) She was like, that's a good nap. She didn't say, where am I? She said, when am I? When when am I? Yeah. She don't know what day it is. I feel that. Yeah, and she's also here in the background. As always. I I told that story on her behalf. Yeah, because she's here. (laughs) As per usual. But let's just get right into it because we have already tangented. Is that tangented? Uh, We we have um, uh, tancholioed. Tancholioed. We've tancholioed a little too far. But like we said earlier, we are covering the Dietlov Pass. Scary. So scary. And it's cold. And it's snowy. Cold. Yeah, so we figured that it's cold, it's snowy in some places, not where we live, but somewhere. It's definitely cold. It's cold. It's not snowy. No, no. And the wind cuts more than I think snow would. Oh my god, the wind here is unreal. We also live right next to the ocean. Yeah, so we're like, by Tokyo Bay, help. so it just like blows straight. Like we could it's what, like a two minute walk to the to the ocean? Yeah. Um, but anyways, we're talking about the Diet Love Pass today. Yeah, Diet Love Pass. It was a story that we didn't expect to be so, like... Complex? Complex, research-heavy, information-heavy. It's a I, lot. We were like, oh, this is fun, because we've seen a lot of, or at least I saw a lot of, like, 30-minute podcasts on it. Like, the... What did we watch? The BuzzFeed video was, like, seven minutes. Yeah, not even a lot long. And we were like, oh, this chill, this cool. And then when we were... I was working on the script yesterday, trying to, like, get all the little details together. I realized that we were in way too deep. Oh, yeah. Deeper. Oh, yeah. Deeper in the snow than I would have liked. Amen. So we took an extra day, tried to whittle it down, but there's just so, 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 so much information out there. It is one of the most well-documented mysteries of all time because there's so much information that it's so unbelievable that we don't know what happened. Exactly. Like, the, the, the amount of information that we have on this mm-hmm. topic, photos, diary entries, uh, like from the people who, who were involved in this. And then even more so after that came, uh, it's just, it's um, impeccable how we just don't know the answer to this mystery. And there's over 75 theories of what happened on the DL Love Pass. But how about we hop on in there, vomit all this information at you, and you can come with up with your own theory by the end of it. Exactly. So buckle up. I hope you guys have a long drive ahead of you. I hope you're cleaning the house or doing something where you can just sit down and listen to a lot of information because we are going to get down to it. Y'all about to learn today. Yes. And just as a disclaimer, this episode is going to contain graphic descriptions of death. So if you guys don't like that, you might want to skip some of these, um, some of the parts where we get into the autopsies. Mm. Um, And also we're going to try to pronounce a lot of Russian words. And if you don't like bad Russian... 
Just don't be here. Don't be here. Leave. Just, just leave. We don't want you here. Yeah. So we're gonna try our best, but we none of us are Russian. None of us. Well, are I, Russian. I think Miley's secretly Russian. But I mean, that's that's a whole other story because she tried to learn to speak Russian. I don't know if she ever succeeded. I think she's holding on to some secret information. Are you part of the KGB? That's what I'm saying. Oh my god. Look, that's a conspiracy. But anyways, <laughs> let's get down to it. What even are we talking about? If you've never heard of the Dyatlov Pass, it is about nine Russian hikers who died. Eight men and two women in Soviet Union Russia went and hiked in the northern Ural Mountains between the 1st and 2nd of February and just, like I said, just died under very mysterious circumstances. But one of those eight men left early, correct? Because eight plus two don't add up to Oh, nine. sorry. I didn't do math. You good. You good. I have been up researching this you have been doing a lot of work so to clarify two women one of them yeeted themselves halfway through (laughs) and there were nine who ended up dying yes so anyways we'll get that to that detail in a little bit this experienced trekking group was from ural polytechnic institute led by igor dietlov whom the pass was later named after so he did not have this pass named like after him he um during like their time it was named something totally different it was like the, um, the pass of the dead or something. No, like it that. was very, it, it was, was literally that. It was pretty, pretty, pretty scary. And also like UPI, yeah. not UTI, right? Yes. The Ural Polytechnic Institute, yes. not the other one. And each member of the group was there because they were experienced grade two hikers. They were all looking to get their grade three certification upon their return to like level up, to be able to unlock a lot of other hikes. Like <laughs> Level up. Let's yeah. Go. <laughs> you know, as there was not a lot to do in the fifties as we have now, they didn't have other than play the video game of life and go up and level you know (laughs) they didn't have any of that so they were just hiking as a hobby i'm sure a lot of people still do that but not me though was it me me gustavo and dakota hit mount fuji up earlier this year yeah how was that do you think you could be a grade two hiker though i don't know i don't know about that i don't know about that i'd I'd love to see y'all barely made it back alive (laughs) (laughs) it was definitely a a whole thing but that's neither here or there Right. We are in Russia right now. But so. we're in Russia. Let's go. Let's and talk about Russia. Anyways, so they went to get their graduate certification, and it was the highest certification available at the time. So they were doing the most, literally the mm. most. They were trying to get all the way up there. It required them to traverse over 300 kilometers. It so was, that's it, cool. It was like a 21-day planned trip. Trip, yeah. Nuts. That's so no snowmobiles like we have today. Yeah, no. Only like, like foot snowshoes by like feet and then ski skis and sometimes i mean you'll find out here today sometimes none of those were even used exactly and this case was not super looked into until 30 years after it happened when the ussr fell and the case was available to the public because during the time of this case it was kind of locked away in a mm-hmm. cabinet and never to be seen again as we know of soviet union russia yeah they like to lock things mm-hmm. up kind of put it in a vault and hide it away if they didn't like how it was turning out and we'll, we'll explain more about why they might have wanted to do that later right but that's what we're doing we're researching the mysterious death of these nine and what led to their fateful horrible death yeah, absolutely. And I can, I can tell you the beginning of this story, kind of yeah, give you like the yeah, be- the, yeah. a, a, little, a really brief timeline of what went down. Basically, on January 23rd, 1959, around 9 p.m., the 10 hikers aged uh, around 20 to 24, except for one of them was like 38 years old, that the 10 hikers uh, of the Dyatlov group, they hopped on the number 43 train and headed to Serov. Uh, from Sverdlovsk. 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 You are correct. 
My brain did not read that. <laughs> There's a lot of consonants. I mean, even though like we're not reading like the Russian alphabet for these, it's still so difficult to pronounce. Zverdlovsk. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they spent about a few days just trying to make their journey uh, to the main hiking area. So they didn't even like start the main hike. They were just trying to travel from where they were to this main place to to like then start forward on this hike up to the Ural Mountains. Um, they ended up on the 28th, Yuri Yudin had to turn back because he had really poor health. He had sciatica and, uh, basically left the group as nine members strong, one yeah. weaker than what they would have had. And little did they know that that would actually save his life. He was the only survivor of this DLF group and he didn't even go on the full hike. On the, uh, the first and the second of February, all of the members of the DLF group died in a mysterious way and you'll see all the details of that uh later and it's kind of grim and then on the 12th of february the group was expected to be back in vijay 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 um is a city in um in russia they yeah. were meant to be back in that uh, be back then but people will they find out they never it. ended up making it back what happened after that uh miss ash so after that, since they didn't make their arrival in the town, um, there was actually, I think the sister of one of the hikers was concerned, but everyone else was like, no, it'll take them a couple days. It's a very difficult hike. You know, don't stress. It's going to be fine. But then nine days after their projected return on February 21st, people started to kind of freak out. So there was a search party and they made their way out. On February 26th, five days later, Two members of the search party found a torn tent at the campsite and nine cents of footprints that were calmly walking away from said campsite. Mm -hmm. And this led prosecutor Vasily Tempalov to open an official investigation to figure out where everybody was because they found the campsite and nobody there. And it just had a ripped tent. It was in complete just chaos. Yeah, like disarray. Just, yeah, disarray. The, the, the tent had fallen, collapsed, and then... Uh... It's kind of weird that nobody was around to uh, to be found inside. So yeah, so why mysterious. would they leave the comfort of the tent if there was something wrong? You know, if there was <sighs> something happening. Yeah, that's what leads us to the next day of February twenty seventh. Mm -hmm. The investigators found their footprints and continued to do some more research on them and realized that the people who made these footprints were only wearing socks or one shoe or barefoot. There was a lot of In mystery. the snow? In the snow. Like, it was like negative 20 degrees outside, y'all. Yeah. Like, this was cold. And they were wearing shoes. Exactly. In literally February, Russia. So, you can imagine how freezing it is. So, they're kind of like, this is not good. I think at that point, they kind of realized that oh, they weren't going to find them alive. Because if their footprints are literally footprints and not shoe prints, there's a problem. I mean, you don't find them footless. Or footless, yeah. Yeah, footloose. I literally was about to say <laughs> and didn't want to be the one, but <laughs> they were about to be footless. Footless. <laughs> yeah. So they all led down, some of them led down to the edge of the, the nearby wood um, on the opposite side of the pass. So then that's where they kind of dug up some snow and ended up finding the bodies of Yuri Doroshenko and Georgi, also called Yuri Krivonishenko. And they were found literally only in their underwear and socks. Yeah, and when they used to be like underwear, they mean like things that would wear underneath their snow gear. Right, like their long johns. Yeah, they, they were just in the, yeah, their long johns and maybe a flannel at very most. Mm -hmm. um, so they weren't like naked. Yeah, they were wearing like a thin layer. But basically, I mean, naked 
in the grand scheme of things because it's cold outside. Oh, yeah, it's freezing. You might as well have been naked, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was about a mile from the original campsite with the cut-up tent that we mentioned before. And they also found remains of a small fire along with the branches of a tree nearby that were broken all the way up to five meters high, suggesting that one of the two men that they had found had climbed up to look for something or got away from the snow, maybe looking for the camp. Or they like broke down the branches like to make the fire, was yeah. something of the nature, but yeah. Yeah, they couldn't really find a clear connection because there were too many branches broken, I think, to just be attributed to the fire. Truth. So that was mysterious. But why did both of them end up in the same place near a small fire? I couldn't tell you. Weird. But... I can tell you a little bit about one of them that was underneath the tree. We can start with this first hiker named Yuri Doroshenko. Yes. Uh, He was 21 years of age, male, of course. I said he. Uh, Fourth year student of radio engineering at UPI. He had an impulsive personality, and he was famous at the school's hiking club, so he was pretty, pretty, he knew what he was doing. Basically, he had uh, scared a bear away. And kind of impressed uh, Zena, one of the other hikers in the group that went along with them, uh, on on a previous hiking trip that they Mm -hmm. had gone on. Uh, Basically, the cause of death that they had in the report for him that he died of hypothermia. Um, And that that has a whole bunch of symptoms that comes along with it. Basically, he died because he was cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he was wearing a a whole bunch of different set of wool socks. Uh, on both feet, socks on the left foot where they were burned. So he, with that fire being nearby underneath the tree, that kind of, uh, they feel like there's a connection there. I would say that that, that makes sense. Um, Livor Mortis, uh, Mortis spots um, were spotted on, on the back and on the, uh, the back of the neck and torso and extremities, which was not consistent with the position of the body which was found in. So basically, these are spots, um, I believe, from where the blood uh, the blood pools um, yeah. when um, th- when the body dies because the blood will just kind of pull at the bottom of the body. So when it, it was there, but the spots of the where the blood would pool weren't on the bottom of where the body was found because he was so, found face down. But the thing, all the yeah, spots were on the back. all the spots were on the back. So something makes you believe that maybe he was moved after death. Kind of crazy. Um, the amount of urine was smaller than what would be expected in cause of death by hypothermia. The hypothermic death cases have significantly more urine in the bladder. So that's a little weird. Maybe he peed himself a little bit. I would have because I mean, right. death is scary. Um, and then there was a foamy gray fluid that was on his uh, right cheek. Um, that's kind of weird. It's not something that's normally... Um, seen with hypothermia um sometimes hypothermia like it, it makes it so that you seize to death like it will cause seizures and you will just end up dying from the seizure that is caused from that well, before death of someone or something that was pressing on his chest cavity um that maybe the, the, there was some sort of uh, damage there that would have uh, forced some sort of foamy gray liquid on his mouth um somehow this forceful method uh, was common for interrogation by the NKVD, Stalin's secret police, and the special forces. The cause could also be a nasty fall from the tree um, that was nearby. So basically, it, it, people are kind of trying to speculate here with him that maybe the secret police was involved. Um, but what was up with his friend that he was found next to underneath that tree, Ash? Yeah, so next to him, we, all, we found Georgie also known as Yudi, two Yudis, Krivonyshenko. He was 23 and male. 
He was best friends with Igor Dyatlov, and he was definitely the class clown type, as described by a lot of people who survived him and his family. Mm -hmm. And he ended up having a mandolin that he brought along on the journey. So that was a lot of fun. He was just out here playing songs for people. Jamming. Jamming and vibing. Okay. But at one point, it did cause a little bit of trouble because uh, during their journey, he did get arrested for disrupting the peace. Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. There's a stress that would be like trying to get there. It's just like the, being detained by the police. Yeah. So then he got detained and the friends didn't know whether or not he was going to be released. Because mind you, again, this is like communist russia like they didn't know if he was gonna get sent to like a uh, jail like they didn't know what was gonna happen to him so they were very scared for him but mm-hmm. luckily they ended up being able to talk the police into releasing him very soon after yeah so they did get into some stress because of that but he was just you know the guy you keep around to keep everybody's spirits up yeah which is great um, yeah, you need that to, mm-hmm. all the people who knew him um and the cause of death on report was hypothermia he did have um, skin between his teeth and it was missing from his hand. So he did kind of like bite some skin off of the back of his mm-hmm. hand at some point. Um, is that what it suggested? So maybe we are not really sure what happened, but some say that it, it might have been him trying to like bite himself, um, trying to see if he had like frostbite, you know, like when you're trying to see, oh, if, maybe, uh, feeling, just yeah. see if he could feel his hands mm-hmm. or maybe trying to stifle like a painful cry, not trying to like yell out loud. Just those are all kind of common. That makes sense. Responses. That way, like, yeah, because I sometimes I bite my fist, you know, mm-hmm. and that, like just to, I don't know, just when I'm in pain or something. And I mean, if he would have cried out, maybe an avalanche would have happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. So knows? that would be like so definitely deadly. That's why they were, he was... They're not sure what he was doing, but those are two of the most common reactions to things. Possible thief. Yeah. So the context of his death, both of them had a pretty logical death pattern. There was tree with climb marks nearby, and then they had injuries that were consistent with that activity. Um, but what wasn't consistent was their like un- state of undress. Yeah, why were they, they naked? Uh, yeah. Like literally like a mile from campsite. So mm-hmm. they... Some people, experts, believe that this could be due to paradoxical undressing. This is like the theory that when you have hypothermia, your body feels like it's burning. Mm. Do you, Have you ever like had like held ice or something that's like super cold, but you feel like it's burning your skin? Like yeah, ice yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess that in this theory, like when you're dying of hypothermia, some people experience this burning sensation and feel like they're too hot. So then they start to like take clothes off to like try to cool down, rebalance, but they're too yeah, cold. Yeah. Like they just went from How we, yeah, down one. It's because their like nerve endings just get shot, and their yeah. brain doesn't know what to do with it. I mean, well, I undress yeah. for no reason anyway. So yeah, I so, that. you know, paradoxical undressing, cool Me, theory. Always. It's also very um, paradoxical undressing isn't super proven yet either. It's just kind of like I said, a theory. It's not mm. something that for sure happens to everybody, of course, but could happen in this situation given as they were dressed like that. But this theory ignores the fact that both of their bodies were undressed after they died. Or at least we think, because there was a lot of clothing that was found thereafter mm-hmm. that was ripped with a knife or that was found on other bodies Truth. of other hikers that were in a separate location. And that would kind of make sense with the uh, with the liver. One of those kind of like spots on the... On the liver mortis. Yes. Yeah. Essentially. Basically on the other Yuri because uh, then he would have been moved afterwards and someone would have taken his clothes. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to say it was paradoxical undressing. If they did die of hypothermia, then they would have taken their own clothes off. But because of the lividity situation and because we found the clothes on other people, mm-hmm. how is that making sense? You know? Yeah. yeah. It's just, it, it's, a, it's a hypothesis, a theory of what could yeah. have happened. There. And so it was very mysterious in that sense. And it's also mysterious.
serious because the hikers clearly showed a logical will to live. There was no clear state of panic and no illogical actions. They were both, you know, just laid side by side and their possessions were divided amongst other survivors, like we said. Mm -hmm. And there was also just a fire made. Like, you know, there was no like crazy like dishevelment and stuff. So, yeah, I know. What's crazy yeah. is I think that like that fire was made and he was he tried to stick his foot into the fire to try to like mm -hmm. I don't know, warm himself, warm himself up. Yeah, and who knows? He, uh, it's scary the kind of positions that were put that they were put in you know yeah very mysterious though so this is the first two bodies yeah and later the same day tell me what happens we, we found two more bodies in between the cedar tree that they were found underneath and then the tent site um where they had camped out at um so in between there you found two more bodies um of zina uh komogorova um, we're going to call her Zina. She has, uh, was it Zinaida is her actual Zinaida, name, yeah. but we're going to call her Zina. And then Igor Dyatlov, the leader of the group, they were both found by a search party later that same day in two different locations. Um, basically one was, uh, Dyatlov was found, um, a little closer to the bodies, um, at the tree, but Zina made it the furthest to the tent, if I remember correctly. Um, but Zina, she was 22 years old. And she was a fifth year student. Why the heck she's going to college for five years? I don't know, but she's way more, uh, way more uh, determined than I am. That's for sure. She was over at UPI just with uh, as well as the other ones and being a radio engineer. And I do, do they have that anymore? Do they do they do, they do radio know. engineering? Are we radio engineers? Are we radio engineers? Because we are podcasters. Who knows? I hope so. Um, basically, Igor had a crush on her. Um, he even had a picture of her in his pocket, which is kind of spicy, but she didn't like him back. She actually dated, uh, Doroshenko for a while, um, but broke up with him just before this whole thing, but they were mm -hmm. on good terms. They were fine. There was a little stint where, like, she, like, he tried offering her, uh, his gloves and she, like, refused until the rest of the group made her take them, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of, uh, a little bit drama, but, uh, that's kind of fun. I think she was like, just trying to be like keeping the boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, no, 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 no. That's weird, man. Like, just, let's, just let's, chill out, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too soon, too soon. I can't borrow your gloves yet. Yeah. But it would never be too soon because, I mean, it would never be too any later than that because yeah. she ended up dying of hypothermia as the cause of death for her uh, by the coroner. She was better dressed than the rest of the bodies, especially Doroshenko and Korvanashenko underneath the cedar tree with multiple layers of nearly every article of clothing except for shoes. Still, like, no, no shoes on these people. Uh, her injuries included a long, bright red bruise on the right side of her torso. The bruise looked like it was left from, uh, like, a baton, like, being smacked by something. Um, and as well as numerous abrasions on the left cheekbone, bruised skin on the right side of the face, and a brownish-red abrasion on the back of both hands um, in the knuckle joints. Also, a wound with jagged edges and missing skin on the back of the right hand. Um, some of this was kind of, like, deemed, like, from her falling down, like, into the snow. I, I also kind of think a lot of it was maybe from dragging herself through the snow, like, on all fours maybe for a little bit. Uh, I, I just went snowboarding for the uh, for the first time maybe two, three weeks ago. And my, my knuckles are actually bruised from trying to lift myself up off the snow so much. And it was only for a couple hours. But who knows, like, what actually happened to them. Maybe, like, a lot of that stuff happened on the way there. Because mm -hmm. um, I knew they were skiing. And maybe they would felt like, there was photos of them, like, falling down and trying to pick themselves out of the snow. And who, who actually knows? But these were some of the injuries that they found on her. And um, kind of a gruesome sight, to be honest. Yeah. But she was also found just meters away from uh, from Igor Dyalov. 
Yes. And we will be posting a photo on our Instagram so you guys can see all of kind of like a map of where everything is because it is really hard to kind of visualize, visualize, explain. So if you're really interested, go ahead and check out our Instagram at Crop Circles Pod. You will see the photo there. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Igor Dyatlov, the namesake of this entire thing. He was only 23 years old. It blows my mind how young they all are. Like in my head, they were all like in their 30s or 40s when I heard of this case, but they're literally so young. He's younger than I am. Younger than me? Yeah. Just as old as Miley. No, 23. Oh, not him, but like one of of them was 20 turning 21 during this whole thing. Yeah, but Igor was 23 and he was male. Uh, he was the leader of the pack, like we've mentioned a few times, and he was a student of the fifth faculty of radio engineering at UPI, just like Miss Zena girl over here. Mm-hmm. He was a talented engineer and designed and assembled a small radio during his second year that was used during his hikes, um, specifically in 1956 in the Saiyan Mountains. So he was out like here making radios. Like Dragon Ball Z? Like yes. Super Saiyan Mountains? Super Saiyan Mountains. Oh, heck yeah. He also designed a small stove that he used on his expeditions after 1958, and he brought with it with him on this trip so it was the stove that they yeah like a really big luxury to have out Mm -hmm. on the in the tent like at that time having something like that so yeah so he invented this kind of small compact stove that was i guess very efficient for him in the way that he hiked so good Mm -hmm. for him smart dude smart dude um his cause of death on record like the previous people was hypothermia Mm. igor dietlov was found a little ways away from the cedar like you said face up and head towards the tent as if he were attempting to return above the snow um, only his hands were visible and they were clenched into fists folded in front of his chest. Um, he also had an unbuttoned jacket on, which is very unusual for someone that's freezing to death. Like, why would you have your outer layer unbuttoned? If yeah. It's cold, you know? Yeah. That was also something very suspicious that they found on his body. There were no internal injuries, but many small abrasions and bruises found on his hands and on his legs. Later on, after their investigation continued, Yuri Yudin, the only surviving member that turned back, like we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm, will testify that the long sleeve shirt they found on Igor Dyatlov's body was Yuri's. He Ooh. gave it to Doroshenko, though, when he was departing. So it would be logical to assume that Dyatlov got it from the frozen body of Doroshenko after he had died. But that's all just speculation. We're not really sure when the shirt was given to Dyatlov. Mm-hmm. No shoes, but... He did have on one cotton sock on his left foot and one woolen sock on his right foot. It's hard to explain, like, why he's even wearing, like, non-matching socks, which I wear non-matching socks. But, you know, on these... it drives me nuts. (laughs) You don't like it. Oh, yeah, you don't like it. You hate it. I have to have matching socks. I will not wear them otherwise. Like, it's so... It's such a pet peeve of mine. (laughs) You said, you're going to see his body and be like, pet peeve. I'm like, well, he died for a reason? (laughs) No! (laughs) (laughs) Not this. But, you know... Um, in this time, especially like when you're hiking and stuff, you're going to be wearing like three, four socks. Why he's wearing one woolen sock and one cotton sock. Maybe his right foot was warmer than the other. I don't don't know. know. Maybe it was colder. I don't know. I don't know. But we can't explain the uneven distribution. And it could be that he had two socks on one foot when he was running and just had a completely naked foot on the other side. Also, that was an assumption that he was running or that he was like walking out the tent. And then he just switched the one sock from one foot to protect his bare foot. But again, why are they all barefoot? That is such a big question to me. Like if you're such an experienced like 
hiker, an outdoors person, and you're out here inventing stuff, you would know that even if you're in an emergency, the first thing that you're going to grab is shoes or like... In that um, situation, yeah. Because yeah. if you're I, trying to get away, you'll know that the cold's going to kill you. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'd say that. I mean, I would most likely say that like they're not psychopaths. They're not sleeping in their socks. So mm-hmm. it's nighttime when this is happening. They're sleeping barefoot. They 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 ain't wearing their socks to bed because you know that the sock monster is going to come take them or at least one of them, and then they'll have a missing sock for the rest of their life. It's just yeah. going to ha- That's how it happened when I was four, and I, now I've never worn socks to bed since. So, I mean, they woke up and then something must have gotten them out of their tent in such a way so quickly that they didn't even think that that was even an option. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Who knows what would happen? But I will say they found another body on the 5th. Yeah, which was about, I mean, it was the 27th when they found those. So, like, six days later? Yeah, the 5th of March is when they found Rustam Slobodin's body. They found him by soldiers. Uh, soldiers found it like in between both of the bodies of Igor and um, Zina. Both of them were found on their way to the tent site. Um, mm-hmm. And in between the both of them, they found Rustam. And he was 23 years old, a male. He graduated from UPI in 58. And he was working as an Enterprise P.O. Box 10 at the time of the events. He was very athletic. People were actually pretty surprised. Even his father was like, I can't believe that he didn't make it back from this. Mm-hmm. Like, he's such a tough dude. Mm-hmm. He's, did, did, how did that even happen? But he was very honest and decent, uh, as, as other reports of people who knew him. Ethically, he was uh, Russian, but his parents, both university professors, worked in Asia when he was born and gave him an Asian name. Rustam? Rustam. Rustam. It was not yeah. native Russian, so that's yeah. like kind of a, mm-hmm. a fact. A cool fact. Oh, fun fact, a little tidbit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and he, like the other four hikers we find, with, hypothermia was the cause of his death. Officially. Uh, Rustam's body. Allegedly. Let me tell you. Let me, let, let me hear it one more time. Allegedly. Allegedly. Rustam's body was found on March 5th, the day after the autopsy of the first four bodies. Uh, covered with 50 centimeters uh, snow. like So he was buried in the snow about oh, a solid chunk. There was a, there, chunk. Was a, there was a lot of snow on top of him. He was face down, heading towards the tent, so he was trying to make his way back, like kind of kind of like uh, Xena and Igor. Um, but he was also better dressed than the previously found hikers with at least one boot on. So this dude at least knew what he was doing. You know, he at least had a boot on. At least, at least one. Yeah, my hip, the boot fits. If the boot fits. Mm-hmm. He had a fractured skull, though, which is kind of crazy. That is a lot. That's that, also like a cra- That to me is like, oh, his cause of death, hypothermia, fractured yeah. skull, side, <laughs> side condition. I, mean, I think right there that shows that he was athletic, more athletic than Igor because he, like, he made it closer to the tent than Igor did. And he had a fractured skull, like freaking Some suggest that the fracture in his skull would be done with some blunt object. Medical autopsy further states that Slobodin probably suffered loss of coordination. Mm-hmm. So, like, he was trying to, like, have a thumb war with somebody, and he was using his pinky, and we just had no idea why. Um, skadoosh. Skadoosh. Injuries to uh, to the head are, are, are less common, especially bilateral ones. This one was kind of, like, to, like, the side, and it kind of shattered everywhere, and it kind of like, wrapped around the front part of his skull, like, uh, above his eye, which is kind of, kind of, kind of a funky-looking, kind of a funky-looking break. You can definitely look up what these autopsies and stuff look like. They have that all that information visually on the internet. Um, it is also unusual to harm the face and sides of the skull while... 
the back of the head has no damage. So it's a little weird, yeah. a little sus, you a know? A lot of evidence that it was a pointed attack and not yeah. an accident. That there was some sort of murder, a murder here, a murder. you know, murder. Um, in the case of Slobodin's body, we see the opposite. His injury pattern is a reverse of what we would usually see in injuries suffered by a freezing man in the last minutes of his life. It looks as if Russian, oh, sorry, Rustern, Rustin, Rustum. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It looks as if Rustem fell repeatedly on his face as he was walking down the mountain. And every time he fell, he managed to hit the sides of his head. Which is very unlikely. I'm at, like, I, I, like, hit my elbow once, and I'm like, ah. And then, like, two days later, hit that same spot, and I'm like, that sucked. <laughs> like, yeah. why? Why would I do that? And he's sitting there doing it, like, over and over and over until he dies. Well, like, that, yeah, it's just so, that's what would have had to happen if it was just falling, which is so True. unlikely. So unlikely. Yeah. And he was in the snow. Like, what was going on where, like, was there a rock? In every single place he <laughs> fell. Who knew? Um, but all the bruises and scratches were blamed on the last minute agony, although it is still somewhat unclear how he managed to harm himself, uh, the exterior of his hands and legs, especially because he was he actually had some stuff on, you know? He was the better, better dressed out of the five that we've already spoke about. But throughout March and April, we had autopsies and funerals, but there were no new findings of other bodies made. And two months later, we finally find the bodies of the remaining four hikers. And that's a cliffhanger. Hope you guys have enjoyed the information so far. We're going to take a quick break. We'll see you soon. And we're back. Hey, guys. Back, back, back again. Back, back, back. Back again. It's crop circles. We always end up singing a song. It's karaoke time. We gotta keep it up. We gotta keep it up. Yeah, karaoke time is still going strong in this house. Karaoke Cletus. Karaoke Cletus. Um, but anyways, we guys, we guys. We guys. <laughs> we guys. Like, ne- the next y'all is we, we guys. guys. <laughs> oh no. I just keep making new things up on this podcast. You are so innovative. So I know that we guys are all interested in this Dyatlov Pass since you've stuck around this long, but we did leave you on a cliffhanger. So, again, May 5th, two months after the last bodies were found, we finally, finally make some progress, and the search parties are able to uncover the body of Yudmila Dubinina, Alexander Kolevatov, Nikolai Thibault Brignoel, and Semyon, Sasha, Zolotaryov. All four of them were found pretty close together in a place that they like to call the den. Congratulations. You pronounce all those so well, and I'm probably yeah. going to butcher them later. <laughs> we're going to take it slow. I don't know if that was correct. If anyone knows Russian who's listening to this, probably just threw their phone across the room, threw their Alexa across the room, and was like, what are they saying? Because I just made up an accent and hope for the best. I'm just kidding. I mean, we did watch the documentary and stuff, so we have like some references, but I'm, I'm trying. Truth. Truth. Big trying. Big trying. Yeah, big trying. So in May, the snow started melting and a Mansi native named Kurikov with his dog noticed some kind of branches that were forming some kind of trail. So as the weather started to heat up, you know, things become revealed that were stuck under the snow. So he followed this trail and dug in the snow for two and a half meters until he found some things and decided to alert the search party. And then the bodies were eventually uncovered. 
there was a stream that was being created in the snow um, because it was melting and stuff. For yeah, a in between months, the yeah. ground and the snow, mm-hmm. there was like water that had yeah. melted. Yeah, makes sense. And they found the bodies laying face down in it, causing rapid decomposition, which... <laughs> Yeah. These it, photos are nuts, man. Yeah, if you do want to go on the Dietlov Pass official website where they have an anthology of information, which is where we got a lot of our information today, mm-hmm. um, they do have a lot of photos, albeit graphic, but are very telling of the horrors that they actually went through. So yeah. definitely proceed with caution and respect, but it is very interesting to see something so well documented. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So the den is actually like what they called this area because it was like a little cutout that they had made uh, Mm -hmm. in the snow. Uh, And the four people found there were really trying to survive. They like made little, um, like a kind of bed situation, not a bed, but like a floor of like branches and stuff. And like some of their extra clothes that they had from other people's bodies. You can tell they had been there for a second. Yeah. They had been there for a little bit, like really trying their best to, survive and it makes this a lot more mysterious because if they were running from something or trying to get away from something which is suggested as like the missing shoes it's just i don't know i'll i'll get into it um on one hand it clearly shows that the members of the party were sane enough to do anything in their power to survive and it also provides you know some unclear kind of mystery as to why their attempts didn't work if they were all experienced outdoors people Another question is, where did the knife that cut the branches go? Because when they found the bodies, they found a sheath, but no actual knife. Fun fact. Not so fun fact. Less fun fact. It was probably an idea of one of the members, Zolotaryov. Mm-hmm, you're <laughs> he, right. Yeah, was one of the most experienced, and I think the oldest, if I'm not mistaken, in the group. And he helped them create this little hideaway in the woods so they would, you know, not die or hoping to not die. Yeah, that'd be my best guess, too. Yeah. And they clearly realized their threats and did everything that they could to preserve themselves. So they had, like I said, branches laid out in order to minimize contact of, like, their bodies to the snow. And in this area, they found the sweater and pants of Krivoshenko, one of the bodies earlier, who, like we said, they had cut clothes off and they had brought them over. Yeah. So they were probably dead. Um, mm-hmm. As... You know, they use their clothes. And both, as it turns out, had some radiation present on them, which is kind of creepy. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it just made everything just so strange. They all also had significant bone damage, as if they were crushed by some kind of immense force. Like, if they were hit by a car or a truck of some sort. But obviously, they're in the middle of the nowhere. So they're not going to, you know, have a car to get hit by. Hey, That's you know, not that, funny. I mean, no, no. I mean, it was, but like, where, where are you going to get a car? It's not like the, the Yetis coming through these Ural Mountains. And, like, Smack <laughs> and just like runs them over. That's not just how it works. No, the Yeti would have something smaller. Something like a Prius. <laughs> a Prius. A logical Prius. Environmentally friendly, wouldn't it be? Like, I feel like he's all going to preserve what he's got going around him, you know? Right. But Go there's no tracks to, you know... Yeah, there are no Prius tracks. To the existence of Prius. Prius wouldn't be able to hit them hard enough anyway. So, yeah. We'd be going too slow. Yeah, a lot of um, <laughs> doctors who took... I'm so sorry. <laughs> Man, there's I'm no dying. tires for a Prius. <laughs> there are no snow tires. I love Prius. Do you have a Miley Prius? I didn't Prius. know. <laughs> Miley felt personally attacked because she had a Prius. I okay. I think I also said this to her. Like in California, it was always the Priuses who wanted to cut me off, True. and that's why I found out she had one. I was like, "Man, Prius drivers don't know what's the like what's going on. They don't know how to drive." And she was like, "Oh, 
Owning, <laughs> owning a Prius is controversial yet brave. It's controversial and brave. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but to get back on track and out of the Prius and into the snow, um, the doctors compared the... Ex- Can I finish a <laughs> sentence? <laughs> Go for it, Ash. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I also keep touching your feet. Every time we do this, I touch your feet. Please yeah. don't touch my foot. No. Okay. Just, I do it on accident. <laughs> my foot also fell asleep, so I can't really feel anything. And I'm scared. <laughs> don't burn your foot. Don't think that you're on. No hypothermia here. Okay. Anyways, the doctors who reviewed the um, the autopsy reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The doctors who reviewed the autopsy reports um, compared the extent of the damage to literally being in a car accident or being crushed by someone who was like the size of a bear, basically. Like a fall from like 60 feet up, mm-hmm. you know? And that it was, was just very, not possible yeah. around this area. Exactly. And a second thing that's like super notable about the den is that the bodies were actually found a few feet away from their improvised shelter and in a deeper part of the ravine. So they weren't even actually found within like the cutout, essentially. They were like a little ways away. Like they weren't hiding when this. Yeah, they whole found thing like a little yet. shelter that they had made, but they just were. They weren't like fully in it, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah like curled up. Yeah. So some of the clothes that were um, taken from the bodies were placed on the cedar branches and they were being used as like reserve clothes in case that they got too cold. So they weren't used, which leads us to believe that they weren't freezing to death. Interesting. So they had extras. Spicy. Yeah, like let's get into the individuals that were found here. Yeah, let's talk about Ludi or Luda, Ludmila. All, all the different names. Yes. Ludmila Dubinina. She was 20 years old, crazy young for like, in just my brain, I can't imagine she's doing something this, this crazy at that age, but she was the youngest of the D at love group. And she was a four year student already at 20 years old, a four year student at the UPI university. Oh my goodness. I mean, she was already in the university for one semester, not to expose her. One semester. (laughs) She showed up and then said, bye. But she wasn't 20 years old. Ah, four years in, in, in the whole thing. She's in in the whole damn thing doing engineering and economics majors. No way. No way, not me. Not me. You ain't gonna get me doing that <laughs> not stuff. Not me either. Nope, nope, nope. But from the first days of her studies, uh, took an active part in the activities in the Institute Sports Club, and she was super, super loved um, by those around her, and she loved to sing and take pictures. She was a really great photographer, actually, and Ludmila, uh, she had considerable mountaineering experience. During a hike through the eastern Asayan Mountains in 1957, she was actually shot in the leg. By a random hunter who accompanied the students. It was they, on accident, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, they, she wasn't, like, in a fight and he just took a rifle to her thigh. She was just, like, not accidentally. She took... So she's taken a bullet before. Yeah. And she just kind of, like, sh- walked it off, you know? Dude, 50s Russia is wild. We Yo. got a guy who fought a bear. She took a bullet. And, like, just so much. Yeah, people so are just much. like, yeah, you know, it happens. And, and they're, like, experienced mountaineers in their young, in their young <laughs> 20s. And, and what did we do in our 50s? Nothing, because we weren't even... We in weren't the 50s? Even, in well, the, in our early 20s, we were experienced um, Switch gamers. You more so than me. You're like an actual gamer. I just press buttons and hope for the best. Hey, you know, that's what that's what I do too. <laughs> You've been doing it for longer than I've been so pressing now. buttons and hoping for the best for a lot longer. Yeah, so, you know, that's um, comparable to significant mountaineering experience. Yeah, I'd say comparable, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh but not comparable to the internal bleeding due to severe chest trauma that Ludmila felt when she was pronounced dead. <sighs> the coroner had a tough time finding all this stuff, and I probably, I, I mean, me seeing this stuff probably be kind of like sick to my stomach, but she was also missing her eyeballs and tongue. 
yo, what kind of stew were you making, bro? Like, yeah, it's when you, horrible. That's, that's nasty. The fact that the, shoe, the tongue seemed to be ripped off or eaten or whatnot. The, uh, the medical rec- records, they simply said that the tongue was missing. There was no other real d- uh, description. description yeah. They didn't really dive into that much. They were just like, oh, it's gone. Like, casually, they were like, um, the eyes are gone, mysterious orbs, tongue's missing. Like, in, like, size one text. Yeah, it was just like, are you t- that's a little sus. Don't tell me, like, there needs to be some sort of more, at like, least. Like, was it cut? Was it, like, decomped? Yeah. Was it, like, there was no... Nothing. Nothing. Nothing was said. But she was face down in the snow where that running stream that was happening, uh... Like, you know, like, in between the snow and the ground, it was kind of, like, rushing over her face constantly. So that's kind of where people think that the eyes kind of decomposed. But right the, the, the tongue's a bit... A it's, it's a thick muscle, you know? So she... she That's a little sus. That it probably was cut out in, in most people's theories. But, uh, Dominia... Dominina. Dominina. She basically, uh, she was lying on a kind of natural ledge with water rolling over her. So that that's why you kind of see the eyes going away. Um, and her mouth was open. So and kinda, maybe the tongue went away, but that, that'd be some pretty crazy water to be able to do that kind of thing. But her nose was like shoved into her head and her left cheekbone was partially exposed due to the decomposition. A massive hemorrhage. In the heart's right atrium, and nearly all the ribs were fractured and or broken. Um, basically, the, the the ribs being crushed basically punctured the heart and destroyed that, which is like something that's crazy. That doesn't happen on normal like rib breakings. Like you can break a rib and not destroy your heart. Right. This kind of leads them to believe that something else was at play here, rather mm-hmm. than her falling or someone doing something to her physically like that something chucked her at a tree or she was hit by something massive like a tree trunk or car it's like we were talking earlier just not a prius um it is noted that the stomach contained about 100 grams of dark brown mucosal mess um and often uh, misquoted uh, as coagulated blood yeah uh, it is used by some of this uh, as an indication that the heart was uh, beating and the blood was flowing when the tug was removed from the mouth. Um, it wasn't ever said that it was blood, though. Like, in, in, yeah. in the report, it never said, like, hey, there's blood in the stomach. It was always, like, this mucosal mass or some sort of coagulated red fluid. You know, it was it was... It was kind of weird. People Unconfirmed like, blood. People were like, why, why aren't you saying the word? We have a word for that stuff. It's called blood. Yeah, but it was never like confirmed by the coroner, so they don't... We're not sure. I mean, according well, to Maybe paper. the coroner should put the corn down and start looking at the stomach and seeing what blood's inside. You know, just say it. Who knows? Yeah. It's it's just weird because like, obviously didn't I have hypothermia because her cause of death was like severe chest trauma and mm-hmm. hemorrhaging, but like, How? And why? Uh, Still more questions and no answers. Crazy. She had a ton. She was probably one of the most gruesome out of the whole group, I think. Yeah. In my opinion. She was the worst off. Her body was just absolutely mangled. Um, Mm -hmm. But let's compare it to Alexander Kolevitov. He was 24 years old. And he was a student as a nuclear physics major. How crazy is that? Nuclear physics Mm-hmm. Ooh, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine that. He was a four-year student at UPI, and he lived in a gulag because his dad was a financial director from there. Uh, but he was not a prisoner. So he lived in a gulag, but 
He wasn't a prisoner there. Thank goodness, because no, oh, if you've heard of anything that's gone down in the gulag, man. Yeah, but I mean, if he was there, like living there, I must have mean that he still saw something. Ah, he was, we was Russian. He would have seen yeah. something regardless during that time, I think. That's so crazy. Crazy. Got gulags now. The, gul- in the, mix. the gulag. Um, basically, his uh, cause of death was hypothermia, is what they kind of came to a consensus on, but he had no shoes. Uh, but they were protected by some home knitted woolen socks uh, with some fire damage as well, which is weird because that's not the first time we've seen that. Mm-hmm. Uh, lack of soft tissue around the eyes, eyebrows were missing. So someone took his eyebrows, and now someone's walking around with four eyebrows. Just being Chilling. a four-browed man on a four-headed person, you know? Unless they have five head, and then that's why they have four brows. I guess that would make sense. Well, the skull bones were exposed due to water, probably. We don't really know. Uh, he had a broken nose, open wound behind the ear, and a deformed neck that might be the result of a fight or even be the cause of his death. He had a snapped neck and a blow behind the ear, uh, which is a common sign of killing performed by special forces. And so some people think this guy was like actually strangled, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he, it was kind of weird to have happened in the middle. Of, if he like died of freezing to death, which was the cause of death uh, that the coroner came to a consensus on. But that doesn't make any sense here. However, we can't be sure about the whole like special forces thing since the autopsy report didn't specify any more details about the body. Yeah. So again, very gruesome, very mm-hmm. all internal though. True. Like it, I mean, except for the broken nose and stuff, but like a lot of it was like internal damage, um, which is kind of weird. Very right. like, forceful. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to move on to our third victim found on this day, Nicolai Thibault Brignoles. Brignolet? I. It's French. Yeah, Brignolet. Mm. I cannot, but you know. I can't French. We, they either. call him Thibault for short. Not Thibault, but like. Not literally. like Tim Thibault, but like just. Thibault. Thibault. Like for Thibault. Like for yeah. his last name. T H I B E A U X. Yeah. So Nicolai Thibault was 23 and male. He was more of a serious guy, allegedly, according to people who knew him. Wasn't a like a downer, guy. but he was, you know, yeah, more stoic. Yeah. Um, he graduated in 1958, so the year previous, with a major in civil engineering. Again, a lot of smart smarties up in here. Oh, we got some smart pants here, but some of them didn't even have pants, so that's a little weird. It's a little weird. At the time of his death, he was working at the construction department of the city of Sverdlovsk. Sverdlovsk. Oh, you said this earlier, yeah, the city yeah, that they yeah, were. Yeah, they, they, from, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the local, the local town. You know that place. Yeah. Um, he was also one of the two hikers who died while wearing shoes. He had the shoes? He had both shoes. Yeah, shoes. So this leads people to believe that he was maybe outside of the tent when whatever happened happened. Like he yeah. was more prepared or if, depending on the theory, he was an initiator, you know, who's to say of like, you know, an event. But it's all up in the air. His cause of death on report is a fatal skull injury, and he had multiple fractures to his temporal bone, which is, it was a lot. Again, there are photos all over the website, uh, Dietlov Pass, so if you want to know more specifically what they look like, go there. Again, proceed with caution. Um, But in conclusion, it's shown that the damage to Thibault's head could have been the result of throwing, like, thrown objects, or like a wild fall. Or just his body, like, falling multiple times. Hey, let me tell you, but sometimes when I fall, I fall so hard. I fall so hard. But you're also kind of tall. 
I'm not like I'm like six foot tall, but yeah, like, like some, I fall stupider than some other people do, mm-hmm. and so then like I hit everything on the way down. So if any of these people are just like me and are clumsy like that, like some people would be like, oh, you know, what? that'd be like sixty foot fall to be able to do that damage. But like, no, no, let me let me show you, I can do it in five. Like, I take that as a challenge. <laughs> no, but they're also experienced, like now ten years. I'm an experienced Switch gamer. Yeah. So you think I can't fall with style? No, I don't think you can. I'm Buzz Lightyear. Come on. But anyways, like I was saying, his his, uh, head injuries could have just... There was so many different ways he could have gotten them, but definitely not just falling from his own height. Like, it was very aggressive, Mm -hmm. as they would say in France. That's not what they say in France. The extensive depressed and multi-splintered fracture could be the result... um, of impact from an automobile moving at a high speed. Again, we're seeing something that is moving faster than like an average human like because of, of how light. much splintering and like frac. Like you know when you hit something really hard, it just breaks into more pieces. Like that's kind of like the movement that they're seeing. Uh, um, okay, okay, forensic okay. wise, it's kind of like you get that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, anyways, again, I keep saying anyways. Oh my god. Anyways. So one of the odd, anyways, I'm just going to keep saying it. We're just going to keep saying anyways, and we're not going to get anywhere. Hey, anyways. <laughs> the wheeze. Oh my God. I'm being attacked. <sighs> so the autopsy guy, what's the corner? The yeah, corner. What was his name? Vozdrozdeni. Damn, you said that actually pretty good. I think. I, I was trying to get you. The coroner excluded... Um, accidental fall on a rock as a possible cause for such a massive and unusual fracture. So even the coroner was like, that ain't right. he couldn't even accidentally fall on a rock this hard. Like something was purposely done to this man, which is so like frustrating to hear about, but it's yeah. also more conclusive than any of the other results that we've gotten on the autopsies thus far. Yeah, what's crazy is that, well, this didn't happen to him. Well, what did? Mm. Who knows? Mm. But not that though. That didn't happen. Yeah. He didn't fall. And our fourth and final victim found on May 5th was none other than Semyon Alexievich, Alexievich yeah. Sasha Zolotaryov. Sasha. So they called him Sasha throughout a lot of the um, expedition, but his uh, given name was actually Semyon. He was 38 years old and male and didn't previously know the group, but needed to upgrade his certification. So he asked to join because they did post mountaineering expeditions and stuff um, at the school and different places just so people knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a war vet with awards and again, far older than the rest of his counterparts. And at the time of the expedition, he was hired as an instructor to the Korkova, Korovka tour base at the time. Um, he was also just generally a little alienated because everyone else was going to school together, making friends, and he was just there to vibe, you know? Yeah, but I feel like he... It, by by like the first day or so of them starting their 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 travels, they said they like they kind of like he integrated well, mm-hmm. not not interrogated, not he actually they they like kind of welcomed him in like he was a uh, he, he was already part of the group, so that was nice. So nice, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, the nice times end pretty soon because his cause of death was severe chest trauma again, another aggressive more gruesome death than so the hypothermia violent. causes before not saying that they're any less gross or like horrible but no no you mean one's... death is death we all we all meet the yeah. same end somehow but but these are just a lot different than the sure. previous ones found um 
he had five broken ribs and was fully clothed and was the second person that had both shoes on. Um, his eyeballs were missing. Um, soft tissues around the left eyebrow um, were also missing. But again, this is probably because of the decomposition with the stream that they were found in. I mean, yeah. I think people are coming after eyebrows. Someone's, <laughs> people who, just someone's brows. Someone collected something. Yeah, and he had an open wound on the right side of his skull um, that was so deep that it exposed the skull bone. So it? that's a lot. And it was pretty clear, pretty clear that this guy did not die from the cold because of how just... Violent it was. Yeah, like, because how mutilated his body was. They were very, like, this is not just hypothermia. Like, this man's been suffering. Um, He also was found with a camera around his neck, which later on was a surprise to Yuri Yudin, again, the sole survivor of this trek. He assumed that the group only had four cameras, and he had seen them because they had shown him all the evidence, or all the things that the belongings that the group had found. And Yudi did not recognize a fifth camera because he knew that there were only four to take pictures with. And was like, that's not something I have seen before. And unfortunately, on this camera, the melting water uh, from the stream and from the snow damaged the film so that we could not, they could not recover anything from Oh, that sucks, man. Mm -hmm. So (sighs) sad. Semyon was also found holding a pen in one hand and a notepad in the other. But nothing was ever written, and probably he died right before he made any notes or any kind of memoir as to what was going on. Well. Yeah. Both Zolotaryov and Dubinina had an interesting pattern of injuries, just to get back to that. Um, they were very similar in direction and force, despite their difference in like their shape like their body shape and stuff. So they both suffered, like I said, the broken ribs and like the wounds on the skull and it was just really oddly similar if yeah it suggests that what's causing these injuries was not just like one big blast or one big thing that happened like it must have been like someone intentionally doing these things at separate times Mm -hmm. or two different people doing it at similar times yeah it had to have been intentional though because of their similar injuries does that make sense yeah yeah that makes sense i I feel you that's what happened and those are all of the bodies and all of the reports that we have. All nine accounted for. Mm-hmm. They're all there. Yes. So let's continue on. What happened after this day? On the 27th of May, radiation findings reported on clothes and tissues of Ludmila, Thibaut, Kolobatov, and on Zolotarov. Um, so all of the bodies from the den. All the bodies in the den. All the four that we were found, even the crowd, they really, really, really just decomposed once they all had some sort of radiation on them, which was a little weird, a little sus, a little suspicious, mm-hmm. a little weird. Um, but then on the 28th of May, the case was officially closed and to be sealed until the fall of the USSR. Basically, it seemed like the government in Russia wanted to keep this under wraps and basically labeled it as, oh, you know, there was an avalanche. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like why they ran out and that's why they died. They died as of a hypothermia and, they, and it's just what yeah. happened. Just a normal hiker trip. Yeah, but these are some of the theories that people had to explain some of the strangeness, the crazy violent body like violently broken bodies of these hikers and some of the just the things that just didn't add up mm-hmm. here's six of the things that we came up with that were probably the most important ones to talk about the yeti the manzi people the aliens that obviously exist duh hashtag obviously. aliens rights um nuclear testing internal fighting between the hikers 
which is personally, I, I agree with that one probably the most. Um, and then a military involvement slash attack. Dun, dun, dun. So let's get into these theories. Yeah, let's, let's get into these. Try to theories. explain why people think that this explains the demise of the hikers. Yes. So the first one we're talking about, the Yeti, of course. Super cool, super fun. Brother of Bigfoot, we love him. Maybe we'll see Sasquatch get, uh, maybe maybe do some sort of a concert with um, the Yeti in the future. Who knows? Maybe we can find something like that. But this is what happened with the Yeti and the Love party. According to this theory, a Yeti came in and scared everyone out of the tent and then proceeded to stalk them and then kill them. And that's pretty much it. That's you know, They stalked them and killed them. Um, the Discovery Channel documentary, quote-unquote, quote, quote uh, Russian Yeti, the killer lives, makes a uh, sensation... Well, what? Sensation. Sensation. I've never seen that word in my life before. Yeah. Sensationalist mess of a genuine historical mystery. This show about Russian history declines to interview any Russian historians. Instead, we're treated to interviews with cryptid proponents. Jeff uh, Meldrum and Igor uh, Burtsev. Basically, they were just like cryptozoologists interviewed. and Basically, they didn't use any sort of person with facts and information. They used people with just theories of like Bigfoot and yada, yada, yada. Who, right. Who no offense to the for. cryptozoology community, yeah. but some people would just be weird. Uh, of course, of course. They didn't use anybody accredited that has any sort of hard, cold facts. The central showpiece of the program is a black and white still photograph showing a dark, unidentified figure standing in the trees. It doesn't look like much, but it could be a Yeti. It's short and with rather thin arms, and it looks like a person in a winter coat, really. Um, so it's probably just a picture of one of the party hiking. Then it was just a little blurry. So yeah. it, people have taken this and blown it way out of proportion and said it was a Yeti, and uh, who, who, who's to know? Who's to, who's to know? I would say it's probably not a Yeti. Um, we, we have, there is very, very little evidence of a Yeti even existing, even though there, there is some that, that is just unidentified and we kind of just say it that it's a Yeti, but, uh, I don't know Big if it's question. in there. Big I don't question. think it's in the Ural Mountains, if anything. Who knows? But our next theory is that the Manzi people were responsible for this. Now, the Manzi people are an indigenous people of the Russian Siberian area, and they were the first prime suspects that the searchers and that the soldiers involved, yes, searchers and soldiers are different. Yes. They were all thinking that it was the native peoples. Mm -hmm. They have lived in the area for a long, long time. But as we all know, with many native peoples, their numbers were dwindling due to colonization and other unfortunate and terrible tragedies that happened to them. But these were all, you know, in the area still. And members of this native group actually did try to help find the hikers as well. Some of them, you know, like we mentioned earlier, joined forces and helped find the people in the den mm -hmm. and did all that. So they were confused as to why they were all of a sudden being accused Oof. when they were just trying to be helpful. Um, there's a big theory that like, you know, as the storyline that the hikers ended up stealing something from a local shrine and they took it back to camp, very a la Indiana Jones, which is so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just, it just does, it seems so far-fetched and allegedly a shaman or other, you know, higher up in the local people's um, group came by, cut the tent open, threw in a native drug, made them hallucinate and all the hikers 
got out of the tent and began to follow their hallucinations, where then they were later followed and then killed by other tribe members. There hasn't been a crime committed, though, in the area for three decades um, since this time, or of this time. And a quote from a witness report, Pavel Maktiyarov, a Manzi native person, says, Everyone goes to this mountain, Russian men and women. Manzi. There is no special prohibition to hike this mountain. So he was just out here chilling, like, everyone's allowed to come over here. We ain't had no problems for three decades during this time. Don't know why that would happen. Don't know why you're looking at us all suspicious, like... Truth. And from the interrogation reports on this kind of shrine-stealing hypothesis, um, they kind of made it clear that there were no sacred places surrounding um, the area that is now known as Dyatlov Pass. Mm. The theory was based on misinformation as to where ritual objects and places that were very significant for the people were, and there was just a complete lack of understanding for the Manzi people and how they practiced their religion. It was... Just the desire to have a politically correct hypothesis, you know? And it would have been very convenient for yet another case as to how religion can affect your mind, especially during this time of, you know, communist Russia. And, yeah, that was kind of the situation that people thought had happened. If the Manzi people were responsible, they would know the area very well. They would know how to cover their tracks very well. But again, a lot of the things just don't add up, especially with personal accounts from other people in the tribe. Mm-hmm. So it does seem a little bit like, hey, you guys are here. You probably did it. You know, like a very... Yeah, because they, they were the only people present in the area at the time. And they weren't even super, super close. They were like no. a ways away. They were, they were just happened to be around, mm-hmm. you know. They just it, 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 they were just the nearest people that were even living close because the Russians weren't actually even there uh, at mm-hmm. the time. I think Manzi people just had a village closer than anybody else there. It was just kind yeah. of easy to point a finger. Yeah. The next thing we have is the alien theory. Frame 34. A very, very, very famous photo from this. Uh, the bunch that came back um, from the hikers, they ended up taking a photo of the uh, of this blurry light. They called like a mysterious sun flare. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, about the same time in Soviet armed forces did launch several rockets from Baikonur uh, uh, base and Although military claimed that the rockets landed in the North Ural Mountains, several geologists 70 kilometers from the mountains saw some glowing and pulsating uh, orbits flying in the direction of the Kolat cycle on the day of the tragedy, and that is the mountain that they were were going to, that that area. The Dead Mountain is what that translates to. Um, Lev Ivanov... Uh, a man who was in charge of the investigation at the Dyatlov Pass lived a long life in the early 1990s. In an interview, uh, the local journalist, a local journalist, he made a uh, statement that during his investigation, he and E.P. Maslenikov, Maslenikov, Maslenikov both noticed that the pines in the forest were burned at the top. Uh, he also claims that A.P. Kudilenko member of the Soviet Congress, along with his advisor, A.F. Ashen... You did this on purpose. <laughs> Ashtonkin <laughs> forced Ivan Go to take out any uh, reference to the unknown flying objects or other strange phenomena. This included photos of flying spheres drawn by the Manzi hunters and uh, in other testimonies. I think, personally... I think the alien theory makes no sense. 
because I think it's pretty much debunked by the fact that, like, I think obviously the Soviets were trying to test some sort of rockets, mm-hmm. some sort of um, missiles at the time, and they had to do it somewhere. The middle of nowhere makes sense. Um, it was the space race. It makes sense. But, you know, it's kind of fun to think it maybe it could have been aliens. Maybe, you know, and I think you said that was your, your, your theory of choice, the alien theory, right? No, I just, I just like saying aliens. Every time I've asked you, you're like, it's aliens. No, I know, but I just like saying, okay, aliens. Okay, like, aliens. I don't know, that's why. Okay, aliens. We wouldn't do that. Theory. We wouldn't do that. It's not my preferred theory, but it is a theory. Oh, I would love to know your preferred at the end. Tell I don't really what... have one. But no? anyways. No, I After just think all nothing this research? makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, like the, the... Like, I'm just spoiled for choice. I think there's too many things that could have happened that I'm like, I don't know. I feel that. I feel, that. I feel like I, I said that. that at the end of every mystery, though. Yeah. I'm always like, ah. The alien theory basically just explains how, like, why there would be radioactivity on some of the hikers, um, why these burn marks would be there, and, um, like, what would be kind of crazy enough to scare the hikers out of cutting their way out of their own tent, running yeah. out barefoot, and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, there's just no uh, solid evidence to why that could actually be real. So we have um, two other theories here. We have nuclear testing. Again, like you said, there was just maybe a missile um, because of the time period. You're talking about the space race. You're talking about Russia trying to become uh, the hegemon of the world, trying to get all that nuclear power. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have, you know, the government might have just done a nuclear test nearby and might have accidentally killed them. Though it's unlikely because the radiation and other signs of damage um are just not consistent with the landscape surrounding them. Like, why would it only affect the hikers' bodies? Um, things like that. There's also, like, a theory about infrasound, which is, like, a sound wave that can create um, insanity or pressure within a body. But that's yeah. also very disproven. Like, it's just not super well-researched, and we don't mm-hmm. even know if that would have even happened in a, such an open area. There's like even this. a way that, like, the mountain winds can cause that kind of infrasound infra that, like, yeah. uh, just by the way it hits the mountainside that it can create just a, the right frequency to cause insanity and stuff, which would have made them, like, kind of on edge and things like that. They were on edge to begin with, so we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But as far as the avalanche goes, which was what the government said happened, mm-hmm. um... We know that a full-on avalanche did not actually happen as tr- the tree line and other equipment um, surrounding the tent were found upright and unfazed. So the trees were chilling. Some ski equipment was just up and chilling. I mean, buried in some snow, but it was left the same way um, yeah. as it was photographed in previous um, found footage. Mm-hmm. And a snow shelf could have possibly buried the tent. Like, you know, like a little tiny baby version of an avalanche could have just mm-hmm. like spooked the tent a little bit. But the kind of gaps in this theory are the fact that the footprints left by everyone in the group just seemed to have walked away. When you run, you leave different kinds of, like, sweeping footprints, uh, according to forensics. And all these footprints were very much, like, easy stepping ones. Mm-hmm. They didn't seem to have any panic in any of the nine pairs of footprints. Um, and, you know, people with broken ribs and, like, messes up chests would not have been transportable especially like to separate different places if they didn't have all the manpower truth you know all together and they were also experienced and well trained so even if they knew that they had gotten hit by like a snow shelf they would have known that their chance of freezing to death was way more likely than getting killed by you know the full-on snow shelf that would have fallen on them mm-hmm. like they would have known that they at least would have had to get their footwear if there was something of that sort coming at them because they know that the cold was the worst of the enemies at the time. So it's just interesting that there was no shoes. Like, they were all at the camp. 
<sighs> so sus, man. There's just so much, so much unclear right. about this. But we have so much information on it too. Right. So. They were writing diaries. They were scrapbooking the whole time, basically by yeah. taking photos that they would put together later. I mean, also, I don't know if we mentioned, but they did need to have this trip well documented, so then that way they could receive their certifications. So that's why they were taking like a plethora of photos and doing individual diaries yeah. and stuff because they all wanted to get their own certs when they got back. Truth. My th- my favorite theory of all of them is the internal fight between the hikers. I feel mm-hmm. like that's actually what ha- uh, happened here because this trip, getting there was so crazy mm-hmm. that someone tried to get arrested, not that they attempted to do so, but someone tried to detain them uh, via the police because they were playing music, so that caused them to be on edge. They stopped playing music. Um, there were, there were different things of like a drunk guy on one of the trains on the way there was like causing a big kerfuffle with the fact that like he was calling the police again on them because they, he thought that they got stolen his alcohol. Um, there was another thing where like they tried making one guy sleep next to the front of the tent and he was calling betrayal on the rest of the group. So th- everyone was kind of on edge and they were kind of, everyone believed that maybe it, things had boiled over and a fight broke out. You see these in the journals that they've documented with these couple squabbles and things amongst the group. Um, but the theory, the prime subject, subject of this theory is the uh, the oldest and most mysterious member, Sasha, or actually his name was Semyon because they did not actually know his real name. Um, he did not know the hikers previously to this and was detached from them. So he was more likely to be uh, misinterpret their, inact- their actions as rude or something uh, along those lines. Um, in this theory, people believe that he began to grow annoyed of the younger men in the party and ended up uh, in all, an all-out rage, possibly due to some Arctic hysteria, uh, and then ended up creating an alliance with Ludmila and Alexander, uh, Alexander Kolovatov. I cannot pronounce these words. Uh, you're way better at Russian than I am. Uh, and then Nikolai, Thibault, and basically banded together with them and... Um, ended up killing getting them killed at the at the den later on uh after everyone else had died uh from the fight previously um his secret tattoo is an extensive knowledge of how to seek shelter and kill uh and, and how, to, how to kill make him a prime suspect uh, of how this all ends up breaking out and i i can see that i can see this happening um with the fact that, like, there was already high tension, and then, like, this guy basically could have done something along this lines. Some people even said he was KGB, giving him, like, a lot of extensive uh, ways of doing this. I think it makes sense with the tongue missing. Uh, I feel like he'd be the only one really qualified with the know-how and, like, the willingness to do something like that. But who knows what you're willing to do in times of hardship and uh, of this nature, you know? So, uh, at the end of the day, I think this is the most logical form uh of of what happened because uh if they were to cut themselves out of the tent something must dangerous inside the tent must have happened um but even some people say them cutting themselves out of the tent was some sort of theorized thing not even to be um hard concrete uh, proof that they actually did that so um ash what was the last thing that we had theorized that this cop could possibly have been that killed our nine hikers so the last theory that we have is a military attack. It's just a theory that the Dietlov Pass uh, group members stumbled upon a military testing area and were either killed by Soviet soldiers protecting the area or were scared into fleeing by the sounds of nearby explosions. So again, kind of tying into that 
missile theory or, um, yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. So one of the possible scenarios is that there was a power struggle and an illegal use of military equipment, helicopters in particular, by high-ranking officers. There's also a sub-theory saying that they had, you know, a secret appointed operator that was Semyon. Again, they're putting the blame on Semyon Zolotadyov, mm. the oldest member of the group, saying that, you know, they were just... They planted him in order to um, help do some kind of military thing to them. Maybe they just did, they were doing illegal things up in that area and they didn't want anybody to find out. So in order to stop them, they had to have a man on the inside. And remember, he did join last minute, low key, yeah. and was unknown to the group previously. Um, they said that the camera was given to him by the military um, so then that he could get photos and things um, that they all had in case they were doing some sus activities when they were all they were doing was hiking. Yeah. You know, the military had it out for them, according to this theory. And the reason for all their deaths was that they were just spotted taking photos of the things that the government didn't want to let out. Which makes sense of why the, 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 Ru- the Russian government at the time wanted to kind of wrap up this investigation so quickly and hide it for 30 years before it could actually be properly investigated because maybe they were trying to hide something that uh, they didn't want out in the public at the time. Yes. Because Especially with the space race and everything and uh, the whole US-USSR buttonheads. Pretty hardcore then. Yeah, so it was just, you know so many different things and these are just a few of the theories um there are so many other ones like methanol poisoning which is another one there was also like a shrooms theory there was a gravity theory there was also like a teleportation theory with wormholes involved let me tell you they range thought that gravity was a theory (laughs) gravity yeah gravity's a theory it is a gravity's not real no but you know as we all perceive the world. But there are just so many things online that we just don't, you know, you all can look into them if you want to, but these are just a couple of the bigger ones that we were able to find on the website. Again, a huge thank you to the dietlovepass.com site. Um, They are documenting and translating everything into English, which is one of our biggest sources, um, along with a few other things that we found online. Mm -hmm. But I think by far they were our main source. If you guys want to go on their website, check out all the other information and details that we kind of skipped out on because we did leave out quite a There's lot so much about this case like we said this is the most in, like most information heavy case that we've seen and there's still no concrete answer of what happened here uh and maybe maybe the avalanche theory is true who knows but uh i i'm definitely not convinced about that so definitely go and check out this information on yourself and go see what your uh your your theory that you agree with most is and let us know yeah, I personally think that maybe there was some kind of internal fight just because of how separate everybody was and how yeah. um, variously ranged their injuries were. I don't think that it was just a single event that, or like one reason. There was probably mm. multiple different fights or situations that happened between the different groups of them. Yeah, some people even so. say there was. there's no way that only nine people were there at this site at the same time. There must have been other people involved at one point, so... I guess that kind of makes sense, too, but there weren't footprints to prove that, that we know of, you know, and I wasn't there. So crazy, crazy things have happened, Um, but we appreciate you guys listening through this whole thing and uh, sticking with us. Yeah, very information heavy. I'm glad if you made it this far. Shout out to you. Um, It's been a wild ride. This has been the most stressful, um, 
research bit that we've done, but I hope that it paid off and I hope you guys learned something really cool. Truth. I learned so many cool things and I also learned that 1959 was not a leap year. Nope. Nope. Do you know all leap years are divisible by four? Who knew? Who knew? Not me until this episode. <laughs> I had to look it up to see like the difference in days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, was this? Because a lot of stuff happened in February. I was like, how many days? How many days was you this know, in February? Just curious, yeah. Also, but, the, o- the only really thing I can figure out is like pop culture wise is the Devil's Past movie that came out, what, 2013? Yeah. Uh, it came out. It was based off this event. It was about like American students going out and checking out this uh, this devil's past this day out love pass to see uh what actually went down for themselves and it turned into some horror movie shenanigans and uh it looks pretty cheesy it looks pretty good up until like the the cgi is involved so definitely if you want to watch a, a corny movie or if you want us to watch it let us know we can watch it and give you guys a review of what we think uh afterwards um later on next uh next uh week's podcast yeah. Yeah. But thank you guys so much for listening. Whether you believe in aliens, the Yeti, or if it was just a simple fight, or the government just being shady. Who's to say what really happened to the nine hikers of the Dyatlov Pass? Who's to say? Who's to say? We'll never probably know. Maybe with, you know, forensics and things happening, now we'll be able to get a better picture. But as of now, it is a huge mystery. Truth. Yeah. Thank you guys for joining. See you guys later. Bye.